Well, good evening and thank you for joining us. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can uh, type into the live chat, uh, uh, hello and where you're watching this from. And uh, again, if you're listening to this via the podcast, uh, we'd also love to know um, uh, if you're watching this, you know, you can say hello uh, in the comment section there too. So both for YouTube and for the podcast, I just encourage you to um, ask any questions you might have as we go along. Uh, I do check back for both of these things to see uh, if we have anybody that um, has any questions and I can answer them in the comment section. Um, so if you're on YouTube, I can interact with you as we go along. But if you're watching for the podcast, um, I can check back in later and see if you had any questions. So um, again, thank you for joining us uh, tonight. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different. We finished up this walking through the small catechism, which really was a combined study of the large catechism and the small catechism. And so today we're going to actually just kind of keep looking at different important documents uh, that don't always get a lot of attention in Lutheran churches, and I would argue that they should. So we, if you're Lutheran, you know a lot about the small catechism, maybe, um, and probably because you heard it called small catechism, you might have also asked the question and become then informed that there's a large catechism. As I've said before in these different podcasts, there is no medium catechism, and I'm slightly disappointed about that, too. Uh, maybe our view on things has been shaped a little bit too much by McDonald's, but I still think there should be a medium. But that's not going to happen uh, because these things were written, um, well, yeah, just about 500 years ago. And so uh, no sense in going back now. But today we're going to look at the Augsburg Confession. All right, and you might be wondering, what is the Augsburg Confession? And that is exactly what today is meant to answer. What is the Augsburg Confession? So we're going to do that um, from a couple different angles. First of all, I'm going to introduce the characters, some of the in, important characters uh, in the Augsburg Confession and, and the history of it. And then I'm going to just kind of give you a straight up account of its history, you know, and we're going to talk within that, a little bit about the content of the Augsburg Confession. And then we're going to also talk about uh, the longstanding implications and the impact of the Augsburg Confession. So hopefully by the time we're done, you'll have a good idea of what this thing is, even if right now you're wondering, Pastor keeps saying Augsburg Confession, what is that? Um, so we're going to dive into that. Um, and for the next uh several weeks or so, we're going to be looking at some of the articles of the Augsburg Confession, which uh, cover different points of doctrine. So maybe you've already pulled from context. The Augsburg Confession is a doctrinal statement, you could say, or it's a confession of faith uh, that was made during the time of the Reformation. And uh, it still um, articulates the theology that of the Lutheran Church, the, the theology that we teach. And so um, while you might say that uh, the small catechism and the large catechism are uh, meant for teaching, I would say that the Augsburg Confession then was meant to be foundational. In other words, this is a statement um, that is helpful for teaching, but its, its initial purpose was to say this is who we are, this is what we believe as reformers. So again, we're going to get into that more later on. But stick with us, uh, even if you don't like history, if you don't like history lessons, um, should hopefully get some good stuff um, from 
from this. And then afterwards, though, um, after we lay this foundation in the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at, uh, again, some of the articles uh, that include justification, which uh, we have this this masterpiece um, from uh, the Augsburg Confession and the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, which I'll also describe later, so hang with me, uh, that define how we are saved by grace through faith. And it is just such a, it's a triumph. Um, and then we'll look at doctrines that talk about um, the church and, and ministry and um, repentance. And uh, then uh, the Augsburg Confession also has uh, some more spicy subjects like free will. We're going to talk about that free will. Uh, and then we're also going to talk about um, uh, civil authority, <laughs> which uh, is not a controversial subject at all these days. Thank goodness for that. Right. Um, so anyhow, so thank you for joining us for this. Uh, and again, uh, we have a lot of good stuff to cover. So first of all, Augsburg Confession, let's get into um, some important people that you need to know. One of those you probably already do know, at least you've heard of before. These other two, maybe not so much. The first guy I'm going to introduce you to is Philip Melanchthon. Philip Melanchthon. Um, Philip is a name you might hear, but Melanchthon is a last name that you might not ever hear except for right now, Philip Melanchthon. And it's a shame that Melanchthon isn't as well known as Luther because perhaps the simplest way to describe who Philip Melanchthon was is to say that Philip Melanchthon was Luther's right-hand man. And uh, so let's talk about who he was. He was a scholar that was recruited to um, Wittenberg University. You see, uh, Frederick the Wise had established uh, the university in Wittenberg, and that's the town where Luther is located. And um, this university, in order to uh, uh, have legitimacy, needed to have legitimate scholars. So it kind of works like this. If you want your town to, in those days, to become you know, a preeminent town, you need a university. For that university to get established, you need preeminent scholars. And that's exactly uh, what Melanchthon was. He was a rising star. He already had works um, published by the time I think he was 21. Um, and so he was recruited to uh, Wittenberg University. Uh, again, at this point in history, uh, this is still before um, the Reformation really, really gets going. Luther is relatively unknown, at least relatively unknown as an academic. Um, and so uh, Melanchthon has, has been brought on board. He specializes um, in Greek and also in classical works. Um, in 1521, he wrote a, a, another book that we should be talking about more. It's called the Loci Communes. Um, I'm not great with my Latin. I probably mispronounced that. Um, the Loki Communes. Um, <laughs> I hope nobody who actually knows how to pronounce these things is listening. Sorry. Um, and he did this at, at 24 years old. And what the what this book was um, was a it, it presented a teaching style that we actually still use today in the church. Uh, so it was a book that um, set out. Um, the doctrine of the Reformation, what would become known as Lutheran doctrine. And so it was meant to be uh, what you would call a systematic work. Um, and that might sound like a big, scary word, but basically it went topic by topic saying, this is what we believe about God. This is what we believe about faith. This is what we believe about salvation. And it, and it went through these different um, topics. The, um, the, the translation for Loki communes is common places. And so uh, what 
Melanchthon did was that he showed um, where scripture has a common place in these different doctrines. So, it, you know, under the Trinity, um, you have um, an explanation of the Trinity and all the Bible verses that uh, demonstrate or teach about the Trinity. And so um, where scripture has a common place about the Trinity, he tried to highlight. And the same with faith and salvation and uh, good works and everything else. And so, um, again, with the Loki communes, um, this actually shaped Lutheran teaching, and, and it still does. And so you've come across this before if you've uh, ever picked up uh, a small catechism with explanation. We have uh, Luther's writings in the front part. The, the small catechism is simply Luther taking, giving us a tour through the six chief doctrines of the Christian faith. But that whole with explanation part um, is influenced by the Loki communes. So uh, again, you have uh, all the teachings of scripture or of, of um, the small catechism laid out, and you have a listing of verses underneath these different questions and topics um, that show uh, how scripture speaks to this in many different places. The idea being is to show that um, that when you're teaching theology, you're not just pulling from one stray verse, um, but instead uh, you're saying something that has a lot of support in scripture. And so you list it out. Um, and so then also, um, again, he became Luther's right-hand man. There's an interesting dynamic between Philip Melanchthon and Luther. Uh, Luther was um, more of the hammer and Melanchthon was more of the paintbrush. Um, and so Luther uh, could be bombastic. He could be, um, you know, kind of uh, aggressive with his words. And Melanchthon uh, could be very diplomatic and he could provide a softer touch. Um, what's unfortunate is that um, uh, as we look later on at Melanchthon, uh, so often um, what will be highlighted is that after Luther died, Melanchthon was younger than Luther, and after Luther died, Melanchthon uh, kind of became the leader of the Reformation. And there was a point where he simply gave in too much um, to Catholic doctrine and to um, some of the other um, Protestant theologies. It, it was an attempt to keep peace and stave off war. It's a whole other story and subject. Um, and so he oftentimes, though, uh, just gets killed right out of the gate. Anytime somebody brings up uh, Melanchthon, uh, what's brought up right away is what happened at the end of his career. Um, and so much so that you miss the incredible impact he had on the Reformation. And so um, uh, I'm a little bit of a Melanchthon defender. I don't, I don't defend him um, giving in too much uh, over the Christian faith uh, as it happened later. But uh, Melanchthon did a lot of good, though, in his life, too. And you can certainly um, that can certainly be demonstrated. Uh, and, and so Luther and Melanchthon uh, would have sort of a interesting friendship, too. They would become very good friends, um, but they would, like any good friends, uh, spend a lot of time getting on each other's nerves. Um, uh, Luther was always wanting more confidence and boldness from Melanchthon, and Melanchthon was always wanting more diplomacy and patience from Luther. Uh, they were the yin to each other's yang. Um, and so, um, and, uh, and, but this goes to highlight, though, all the more how this Augsburg Confession is a triumph of their friendship. It is a demonstration of uh, their work, 
um, and mutual respect and trust in one another. Um, and I'll explain that when we get more to the straight up history part. So enough on the lengthen. Now let's introduce you to Charles V. Uh, Charles V uh, came to power um, over the Holy Roman Empire. So Charles V was an emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, and he came to power in 1520. And if you're wondering, like, what's the Holy Roman Empire? I've heard of Rome. That's an empire. And I've heard of, you know, Chinese empires. So, you know, what, what was the Holy Roman Empire? The Holy Roman Empire uh, was um, an empire that actually dominated uh, much of Europe at this time. Uh, and so it encompassed um, uh, what, what is now known as Germany and parts of what is known as uh uh, as Russia um, and, and many other places. And so uh, it was a very large and vast empire. Um, and this empire um, was intimately tied to the Catholic Church. Um, and so uh, Charles V came to power, and several months later, in 1521, uh, at this time, Luther, Martin Luther the Reformer, was excommunicated from the church. And so uh, this is where uh, Charles V, I believe, has his first real interaction with Luther, although it's more of a one-way conversation, it's, and it's not face-to-face. -face. Uh, after uh, Luther is judged a heretic at the Diet of Worms, and again, the Diet of Worms is, that, is a whole other story, but it's that moment where Luther is uh, given a chance to recant all of his teachings, um, and uh, he doesn't. He says, here I stand, I can do no other. Um, so that's one of his most famous statements. Um, and so... After he was deemed a heretic, uh, Charles V also uh, deemed him an outlaw because, well, to be a heretic was illegal in those days. And so this is where um, uh, we come to uh, see the danger that, that Luther um, was in. Much of that danger comes from Charles V. And so um, also, uh, though, as, as time moved on, um, uh, the emperor called what was called the Diet of Augsburg, where the Augsburg Confession was presented. This was his attempt to uh, once again unify all these uh, German territories so that they could stave off uh, the coming threat of war, which I'll describe later. And then also later on, another significant thing about Charles V is that in 1555, uh, he did finally establish the Peace of Augsburg, which was a policy of tolerance towards reform territories, uh, a way of trying to get these reform territories to coexist at least um, with the Catholic territories, seeing how at this point, again, 1555, so you're talking really uh, 30 plus years of reformation, it became clear that um, nobody was just going to come running back to the Catholic church anytime soon. Unfortunately, this peace was very temporary. It did not last and war would soon come. Um, and again, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> so uh, again, we're kind of dropping into the middle of a whole lot of events. It's complex. So now let's move on. Straight up history time, folks. Um, so here we go. Um, let's dial it back to the 1520s. Um, and uh, I don't know what uh, music was popular or hairstyles or fashion was popular, although I hear that itchy brown robes were quite a thing. So if you need those kind of visuals, think of itchy brown robes. Um, so 1520s, um, uh, the Reformation was really taking off. So um, just a few years back, um, in 1517, you had uh, Luther nailing the 95 Thesis um, to the door of the church in Wittenberg, and uh, word got out 
Um, and again, 1521, you'll have this, um, uh, this very impactful moment at the Diet of Worms where Luther says, here I stand. And so the Reformation is gaining steam and support. And the 1520s is a time where Luther is doing his best work in the Reformation. Um, and if you've ever wondered, like, why in the world um, was Luther able to just go off and uh, continue teaching things that the church uh, viewed heretical when there's a long history of burning uh, heretics at the stake. Um, and also, again, the Holy Roman Empire was very much tied up with the Catholic Church. So you had the power of the, of the military that could come in and suppress things. You had the church that could burn a heretic. How come they didn't get Luther? And part of that reason is that um, Luther had a protector in um, uh, Frederick the Wise of Saxony. That was the territory that Luther lived in in those days. But also it was because Charles V, the emperor who would have loved uh, to establish um, order again by sending in the troops and, and killing Luther and every other leader of the Reformation and just putting his boot on this thing, was not able to because uh, during the 1520s, the uh, Holy Roman Empire was constantly being threatened uh, by the Ottoman Empire, uh, by the Turk, the Turkish army. And actually, it got really close. What, what, one of the more fascinating tidbits about this is that um, the Turkish or the Ottoman Empire was very close to taking control of all of Europe. And just imagine how that would have changed um, history, especially. Uh, Western civilization and Christian history and so many other things. Um, so it, it got really close. Um, so Charles V, needless to say, had his hands full. But finally, by the time 1530 rolled around, uh, Charles V, for the first time in his reign, had at least a little bit of peace. And with that, then, he was able to turn his attention to the Reformation. And so that in January of 1530, Charles V called the Diet of Augsburg, all right? And so the Diet of Augsburg, um, it sounds better than eating a Diet of Worms. Ah, that joke is made every time. Um, and so uh, this, is a, this, this diet was an attempt um, to bring together uh, the leaders of the Reformation and also the leaders in the Catholic Church um, so that the Reformers could explain their faith. It was an attempt to try and uh, seek uh, unity and common ground because uh, Charles V knew that another round um, with the Ottoman Empire was coming, and he really needed um, the allegiance of the princes and these reform territories so that they could commit men uh, to the warfare that was going to happen. And so there was a political motivation um, and not just a theological need for unity, um, although that was there as well. So um, the Lutherans, uh, which at this time they were not called that, um, the reformers were uh, called to present their teachings. And so Luther, Melanchthon, and others met at a city called Torgau. Uh, in Torgau, they composed what was briefly known as the Torgau Articles. Um, and so uh, once they got that done and finished, um, Melanchthon and other reformers um, and other officials from the territory of Saxony and these other reform states moved on to Augsburg. But Luther, however, being an outlaw, could not show his face around the emperor and all these authorities of the Catholic Church. Again, it would be a, 
chance of being stabbed or burnt. Um, or maybe stabbed then burnt or burnt then stabbed. I don't know uh, what they would have done, but it probably would have been painful. And so Luther instead had to stay um, at the castle in Coburg. Um, so Melanchthon and others travel to Augsburg, and there they meet even more people who support uh, the Reformation. Um, in fact, um, there was one interesting character that I really couldn't find um, enough time to get into tonight um, who also isn't really talked about, and her name is uh, Argula von Grumbach. Uh, and uh, what's interesting about her is that she is um, uh, one of the boldest reformers, and uh, she was also uh, a female reformer. Um, and uh, that there weren't too many of those in those days because, um, you know, women's rights really hadn't come to where it is now. And so, um, she actually uh, was from Bavaria. She had um, got a hold of uh, Luther's writings and teachings. Um, and so uh, she actually was uh, trying to uh, influence the, um, the university in Bavaria and uh, the city in Bavaria to follow the Reformation. Uh, largely, she was ignored in this effort, but um, she came down uh, to Augsburg and um, also uh, sat in on the conversations um, about these Torgau articles that had been written by Melanchthon and Luther. And so, um, or actually it was written by the hand of Melanchthon. Um, and so some more refinements were made, some more revisions were made and um, with all these other leaders. And uh, then uh, Melanchthon sent uh, the, uh, this, what had now been called, what had now been changed to the title of the Augsburg Confession back to Luther. And Luther approved um, of what he read and, and said that, you know, uh, in short, that he couldn't have written it better himself. Um, and so his, his praise uh, of this was, was very high. Um, and so the final draft of what would become known as the Augsburg Confession was complete on June 23rd, 1530. Okay. Um, and so one thing that we want to note is that uh, Luther or Melanchthon, as he's writing this, um, uh, his purposes in writing are transformed just slightly. Um, instead of giving a negative uh, condemnation of what is happening within the Catholic faith, although um, that is certainly brought out in many different ways, Melanchthon sought to express more of what we would call a positive um, expression of the Lutheran faith. In other words, just simply, this is what we believe and why. Um, and so it was less about going on the offensive against the Catholic church uh, so much as it is saying, this is what we believe. Um, and so, and when you hear that, I don't want you to think that it was any less of a bold thing to do, but Melanchthon's goal was to simply present, these are our teachings and this is what we believe as we read scripture. And this is what scripture has taught us. Um, and so uh, that was, that was what he attempted to do through the Augsburg confession. Uh, and so this confession was read at 3 PM on June 25th, 1530. Um, isn't it amazing? Uh, you know, we oftentimes don't get um, dates um, for uh, these significant historical events, but now not only do we have dates, but we also have the time at 3 p.m. Melanchthon uh, stood up and read the Augsburg Confession, um, which kind of a side note. Uh, so we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation in October 2017. 
there's all kinds of other dates um, that are coming up. Like, um, again, I've mentioned this a lot, but the Diet of Worms, we're going to be celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Diet of Worms next year, maybe even in person. Um, <laughs> and likewise, um, in uh, 10 years from now, on June 25th, we'll be celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Diet of Augsburg. Um, and so, uh, let's let's just talk real quick about the um, about the impact um, of this uh, Augsburg Confession. Uh, first of all, uh, you have that um, it remains the best and the most relied upon summary of Lutheran teaching. In fact, when you hear the word confessional Lutheran, if you've ever heard that word, it's referring to somebody who adheres. Uh, and, or subscribes to the Augsburg Confession. Uh, a confessional Lutheran is somebody who subscribes to the Augsburg Confession. Uh, in our particular church, um, in our constitution, we state uh, at Good Shepherd in Gainesville that, that we subscribe to the Augsburg Confession um, uh, and all the writings of the Book of Concord, um, which is an assembly, the Book of Concord is, is an assembly of these Lutheran confessional doctrine or uh, documents. And so uh, to be a confessional Lutheran means that you've subscribed to, um, to the Lutheran confessions, but chief among them is the Augsburg Confession. Um, and so uh, you have that, uh, again, with the exception of um, uh, the small catechism, uh, this is, again, perhaps the most uh, influential document um, written in, you know, in, the, in Lutheran history. Uh, it's often called the Magna Carta of Lutheranism. It's, it's called that by many historians, the Magna Carta of Lutheranism. Um, it's structured um, with uh, 28 total articles. Uh, 21 present uh, Lutheran teaching and again, Lutheran doctrine, and the other seven express uh, reforms that uh, the reformers were attempting to make within the Catholic Church. Uh, so, what is the main goal of this, um, of this document? What is this document really trying to get at? Um, again, it's to demonstrate the main doctrines of scripture, um, uh, to highlight um, that the reformers were not inventing something new with their teaching, that they didn't just, you know, get a, sit around one day and say, you know what, I don't really like the Catholic church, so why don't we just create some chaos, start a new church, say some new things. Um, instead, um, it was an attempt to show that these uh, were, doctrines were uh, interpreted from scripture um, and that they're supported uh, by scripture, that they were not inventions or innovations or anything like that. Um, and uh, one other note here is that um, the impact um, of this, again, continues to, to shape uh, doctrine um, and uh, teaching and discipleship. Um, when Lutherans have a question about what they believe uh, the Augsburg Confession is a go-to. Um, and so if you're wondering what the Lutheran Church is all about, uh, you can actually go um, and uh, there's a free version of the Book of Concord online. And within the Book of Concord, you can find the Augsburg Confession and you can read that. Um, and so also um, this, uh, this actually um, drew together and uh, this confession was, was sort of a rallying point 
um, for the for an alliance of reformed princes. It gave them sort of a common ground to say that we stand together on these matters. Um, and, it, and, and this document strengthened the Reformation um, because, again, it was a unified statement of faith. You know, what is the Reformation about? Well, here you go. This is the Augsburg Confession. Or whenever there's a question um, or a new challenge, the church could go back and say, oh, this is what we say about this. Um, and also, um, again, with that strength and unity that um, they were able to achieve through the Augsburg Confession, um, the emperor was forced to tolerate them, which allowed the Reformation to endure. Um, and so uh, this, is, uh, this is what uh, Luther wrote um, in the aftermath of the Augsburg Confession. He said, I am tremendously pleased to have lived to this moment when Christ, by his staunch confessors, has publicly been proclaimed in such a great assembly by means of this really most beautiful confession. And so the word is fulfilled. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings. What follows will also be fulfilled and will not be put to shame. Psalm 119 verse 46. For whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my father, which is in heaven. Matthew uh, verse, uh, chapter 10 verse 32. And so again, as you can see, Luther was really quite, quite proud and sort of in awe of what happened through this confession. And um, a couple other things we want to note here as we wrap up today on this introduction of the Augsburg Confession. I feel like I always need to deal with this. Um, uh, being a confessional church, uh, sometimes there's confusion and sometimes there's just questions. Um, when it comes to the Augsburg Confession, even though I've spoken about it in such high terms, um, the Lutheran Church, the, our belief is that um, the Augsburg Confession, for no matter how... Um, uh, revered it is, no matter uh, how much history we have wrapped up into it, it must always submit to scripture. Uh, the Lutheran Church must always be ready to say um, that, no, we see um, the Bible um, teaching us and instructing us. And if we are ever wrong on any of our documents, whether it's a document that we've written recently or a document that was written, you know, 500 years ago, um, we must stand ready to submit to the word of God above all things, above our own nostalgia, above our own uh, love for history, um, uh, above our own preferences. And so, um, so this document, again, sits below scripture, uh, just as we stated with the small catechism. The document does is a helpful teacher of scripture. Um, it lays, again, a, a foundation that, that helps us to understand, again, many of the most important teachings um, of the Bible. It also is a document that helps us to understand the time in which it was written um, as we read through the different things that the reformers were responding to and trying to explain themselves about. We get a feel for some of the issues of the day. And then also uh, another point um, as we close. Um, here in the Augsburg Confession, and we can see it clearly uh, in the preface written by Melanchthon uh, that I'll read in just a moment, that the goal of the reformers um, was unity for the church. Um, again, their goal was reform, not schism, not splitting. Their goal was reform. Uh, they, just like many in the, in the Catholic church, um, wanted to see one church um, under Christ, united completely in faith. That was the dream. That was the vision and the hope for the Reformation. And it was heartbreaking um, when that did not happen. 
And when we look at history, sometimes we go back and we look at it with a certain amount of skepticism. Um, you could say uh, that there were political motivations for the Reformation, for the Reformation, or financial motivations, or uh, whatever else. And no doubt, there were certain characters that took advantage of the crisis and did what sinful human beings so often do. But that does not erase the intent um, of the reformers, um, nor does it um, take away from uh, the words that they wrote. And so um, as we finish tonight, I'm actually just going to read um, a statement that's sort of, or a couple of statements from the preface written by Melanchthon to the Augsburg Confession that highlights that hope for unity. <clears throat> and so again, um, Melanchthon here is writing to the Holy Roman Emperor, uh, Charles V. And he says, we are prepared in obedience to your imperial majesty, our most gracious Lord. I told you he was a diplomat. Uh, to discuss with them and their associates, insofar as this can honorably be done, such practical and equitable ways as may restore unity. Thus the matters at issue between us be presented in writing on both sides. They may be discussed amicably and charitably. Our differences may be reconciled and we may be united in one true religion. And so Melanchthon continues, if no amicable and charitable negotiations take place between us, and if no results are attained, nevertheless, we on our part shall not omit doing anything and so far, God, and so far as God and conscience allow that may serve the cause of Christian unity. And just to clarify that last statement, we're not going to omit anything that would help with Christian unity. And so, uh, again, the, the goal of the Reformation was that there might be one church. Uh, the Catholic Church responded to this document, the Augsburg Confession, by writing a document of their own called the Confutation. Uh, it was a rebuttal of the, uh, belief, the Lutheran beliefs about, um, or the Lutheran beliefs that they expounded in the Augsburg Confession. And to this, Melanchthon wrote what's called the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. And I say this because as we go throughout the study, um, I'm going to be referring to both the Augsburg Confession and the Apology to the Augsburg Confession. So uh, that's what we have coming up. Uh, next week, we're going to look at uh, justification. Um, and again, this is uh, this particular explanation of justification found both in the Augsburg Confession and the Apology, or Apology means defense, defense of the Augsburg Confession, um, it, we find a, a masterpiece. We find um, uh, the clearest and most persuasive writing on being saved by grace uh, alone that you can find in all of history. And so uh, good stuff ahead. I'm uh, looking forward to it. Uh, so we're going to keep rolling with uh, Wednesdays at 7 o'clock. Uh, hope to have you join us for that. And again, please share this video uh, or share the podcast. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to our channel, please do that. Um, we're ways off yet, but my goal is still to get us uh, 100 subscribers uh, for our YouTube channel. Um, so you can help with that. And again, share this uh, to with anybody who might be interested. Um, and so with that, uh, God's peace. We'll see you next week.